This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. Let me introduce Ehito Kimura. Uh, some of you already know him. Uh, he is uh, a Shorenstein Fellow with uh, APARC uh, this year. Uh, specialty is obviously Indonesia. Uh, recently was hired as an assistant professor on a tenure-track basis at the University of Hawaii. So if you ever go through Honolulu, look him up. <laughs> uh, he'll be there in, in September. His wife, I'm also delighted to say, this is pretty rare, also has a tenure-track uh, position at uh, the University of, uh, of Hawaii. Um, Ihito has degrees from Georgetown, Yale, and his PhD is from the University of Wisconsin. He's very fortunate in that I left the university before I could damage his uh, dissertation research. Uh, and he spent uh, the year, uh, among other things, uh, working his dissertation into uh, publishable, publishable form, since, as I'm sure you all know, the terms dissertation and book are not necessarily uh, synonymous. Um, uh, I remember especially a conference in Jakarta not too long ago um, where I sort of, that was actually I think one of the very early occasions on which I heard you perform. Uh, bravely, I thought, surrounded by Indonesians inside Indonesia, right, and here's this uh, uh, foreigner coming in to tell them about their country. We always sort of face this problem, I'm sure I'm not the only one around the table who has had uh, qualms. I thought he did extraordinarily well on the subject, actually, of his dissertation and of his talk uh, today. In the literature on decentralization, um, I don't know, maybe this is a little unfair and I'm saying something substantive, so I probably shouldn't, but uh, there is a sense, to the extent that I have any familiarity with that literature, which is pretty casual, I must confess, that it tends to be one way. That is, the very term decentralization implies a one-way vector, a downward movement of power, responsibility, authority, funds, whatever it may be. Um, and so you get this notion of two different levels that are connected only by that downward movement. And the notion that there could be upward movement to maintain the vertical metaphor in the other direction that is imp implicated in this process of decentralization is somewhat we say, less well represented in the literature than it ought to be. And I think that's one of several other reasons I won't get into why I think you will find um, Ejito's take on his topic, proliferating provinces, the vertical politics of territorial fission in Indonesia, especially interesting. Ejito. All right. Um, well, thank you very much for the, the very generous uh, introduction. And uh, I, I remember that, that conference very well. I also remember you asking some very critical and incisive uh, <laughs> questions that make me rethink the entire project, <laughs> uh, which is always the case, and which is why I'm so happy uh, to be here uh, getting interesting and, and challenging uh, questions and comments from you and, and, and anyone else. And if people today have, have comments or, or, or critiques, I'm more than happy to to hear them uh, now or later and uh, hope that I can keep improving the project that I'm working on. And so the, the, this is a talk that I've, I've given in, in sort of modified versions and, and hopefully tried to improve upon here and there, but the title uh, this time is it's Proliferating Provinces, the Vertical Politics of Territorial Fission in Indonesia. And it's actually a title that Don helped me 
uh, work on, and it's not, uh, if you read it quickly, you might think it's about nuclear proliferation <laughs> or something like that, but it's, it's, right. it's not about that at all. It's about territoriality in Indonesia. And so, first, just a few, few comments. In terms of what pro proliferating provinces refers to, what I'm essentially talking about is really a recent surge in Indonesia of new provinces that have been created. And so, just to give some concrete uh, examples of what's going on, uh, this is January 23rd uh, of 2000. There are tens of thousands of residents uh, in a small district called Gorontalo District in northern Sulawesi. I'll talk about this case a little bit more. Ostensibly, these guys are celebrating uh, uh, a national hero from Gorontalo on a day called Patriot Day. And uh, the rally is taking place, but it shifts into a different kind of rally. And it's a rally that's actually supporting the creation of a Gorontalo province, Gorontalo Tomini Raya. And speaking to the crowd at the stadium, one of the leaders says, with the blessing of Allah all-powerful, on this day, the 23rd of January 2000, we officially declare, declare the separation of Tomini, Gorontalo Tomini Raya. And this speech, it's, it's, it's really just reflecting aspirations. They're not legal declarations at all. But in less than a year, uh, Gorontalo is basically able to secure their new province. So they become the 28th province of Indonesia. At the same time, uh, in the same year, I should say, a few islands east, there's West Papua. West Papua, there's a wholly different kind of dynamic that's unfolding. There's negligible support uh, from the local residents, uh, and the Indonesian government essentially declares that West Papua is going to be partitioned into three. That's essentially West Idian Province, Central Idian Province, and West Papua Province. A lot of the local indigenous uh, groups uh, see this as a crude attempt to undermine any sort of autonomy or separatist movement that's going on. And the move is so unpopular that essentially uh, these guys go to the Indonesian Supreme Court and they argue the case of why Papua should be uh, divided. And essentially the, uh, the Supreme Court rules in uh, their favor. It says these are unconstitutional or they're, they're, they're in violation of Papua's special autonomy laws, but for, for reasons that are hard to explain, they still allow one of the provinces to stand, West Irian, arguing that because it's already been declared and because institutions have already started to, to coalesce there, it should be, it should be there. So that's, that's two examples of, of uh, new provinces that have been popping up. And I see this as a sort of larger trend of a new politics of regionalism that's going on in Indonesia. And they're not the only places. This is just listing um, the new provinces that have been created. So out of 27, we're now 26, 27, depending on whether you counted East Timor uh, up to 1999. Uh, you're basically up to uh, 33 different provinces, including uh, West Iria, North Maluku, Banten, Banka Blitung, Gorontalo, Riau Islands. And I probably should have had a map for, more general, uh, for a more general audience. I apologize for that. Um, but this phenomenon has become a little bit of, a, of, a, of an issue uh, in terms of uh, Indonesian politics. A lot of people have, have dubbed this process Pemakaran Wilaya, uh, which essentially means the blossoming of regions. And it's happening really at different levels of government. It's happening at the, at the provincial level. There's, there's kind of a blooming of different new provinces that are being created. And there's also districts and sub-districts actually that are also popping up all over the place. I'm going to focus on the provincial level today for more clarity, but some of the trends and, and, and processes, I think, you could argue, uh, also go downwards. And 
to put this in a slightly bigger context, what I'm talking about here is really about territorial change in, in Indonesia. So when a lot of people talk about territoriality in Indonesia, I think the initial reaction is we're talking about the East Timors and the Aceh, about issues of separatism. And in the late 90s with the financial crisis uh, and uh, the economic and political chaos that's going on in Indonesia, a lot of people really weren't sure whether Indonesia would survive as a state, that it could territorially collapse. And I think in retrospect, uh, I mean obviously Indonesia remains as a nation state, it remains a territorially unified nation state, uh, with the exception of East Timor that goes its own way. But part of the point that I want to raise in this project is that in territorial terms, it's not just a question of whether Indonesia has remained has collapsed or not collapsed. And there's actually a lot of changes that are happening internally. And so I want to look at the relationship between the political transition that occurred uh, in 1999 and sort of the trends that emerged later in terms of territoriality. So let me um, quickly uh, say a little bit more what I mean about new province formation that's going on in Indonesia. One, I want to distinguish it from, um, from the process uh, of uh, what we call gerrymandering, I guess, in the U.S. There's a, it's not, the process of creating new provinces isn't just about moving boundaries one way or another to include or exclude a set of voters. There's, a, there's definitely an electoral component to the story that I'll be talking about, but in gerrymandering you don't necessarily have the creation of new states or new provinces that's going on. Essentially you can move the border uh, and have a case of gerrymandering in, in proliferating provinces by definition, you're increasing the number of districts and provinces and so on. Also, I want to distinguish this slightly from uh, the case of new provinces that are created through, through conquest. And so, uh, for example, if we go back to the US, uh, the, the United States, a vast majority of the, of the 50 states that we have today are, uh, are coming to us through uh, periods of expansion. And so we've, we've gotten new territory and we've been able to uh, classify that new territory as a state. And in essence, in Indonesia, what I'm talking about is a process where the territory is already fixed, and essentially these provinces and states are being split. And in the US, there's, there's a few cases of this happening. Um, like in Virginia, you had the split of West Virginia. This had to do with national level politics during the Civil War and so on. But overall, I'm talking about this in the fixed nation state context. And the main questions that, that I want to ask in terms of what's going on in Indonesia is one, the question of, 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 of timing. Why is this happening now? And so we can see since 75, which is the, the last major, uh, the last uh, province to be included, which was actually East Timor in 1975. Uh, you can go back further for other provinces. All the way to 1997, 1998, it's a relatively steady, uh, it, it's a very stable uh, provincial structure. And suddenly from 1999 and onwards, and I should actually include 2006 and 2007, you see a gradual increase. And so part of the question, I think, is why now? What's going on? And the second question uh, I want to ask uh, in some ways is why are the ones uh, that, that succeed able to succeed? And this here is a list of all of the different places uh, where there have been movements for or proposals for uh, new provinces in Indonesia and the ones that are bolded, uh, the ones that are bolded are essentially the ones that have succeeded. And so why is it that some of these are actually succeeding? 
And so just to give a brief summary of the, of the argument, uh, I'll be talking about political transition. And I'll be saying basically that the transitions in 98 and 99, the implementation particularly of uh, decentralization reforms and democratization reforms, uh, really introduced new actors into the political sphere and new meanings in a way that territoriality became quite significant. I'm going to talk about the vertical aspects of these coalitions that are emerging and how they link groups between uh, both what we typical, typically think of as center and periphery. Uh, and so how is it that these groups were able to line up together and why? And in that context, I'll talk a little bit about notions of territory and territoriality. I'll get, I'll get to those uh, in, the, in, in the conclusion. Um, so in terms of uh, the quick organization of my talk, uh, potential explanations. We'll go through a, a few set of those. I'll talk a little bit more about the vertical coalitions framework, and then I'll try to flush out, in terms of some of the case studies, how, how these, the, these vertical alliances or coalitional frameworks work, and then I'll, I'll try to come back out and have some, some broader explanations. And Don, if, in terms of time, if I start going over, you can, you can give me some warning. Um, so let me talk briefly about, about some of the, of the other explanations that we could propose about new province formation. And the main one that you hear when you interview people in uh, the, the public officials in the districts and, and, and so on is basically that this is about efficiency and that you, uh, increasing the number of provinces is just a logical uh, thing to do when you have an increasing number of, of, of population, uh, more and more specific services that need to be provided. And so um, I could go through some of the theorists that would talk about this, but the idea that um, uh, increasing the number of provinces would be useful because it would basically increase the competition between the different provinces and therefore people would vote with their feet and, and in aggregate it would improve the local services that are provided. And there are other ways in which people said, for example, it increases democratic efficiency. That is, if you create a new province, you bring government closer to the people and you bring the people closer to government. And so that's been a, a typical way in which uh, these sorts of, of, of explanations have been put forth. And the problem, I think, is that when you have an efficiency uh, level explanation, A, it can't explain the sudden increase uh, in terms of the timing. Essentially, if it were all about efficiency, then you should see a gradual process that's going on. But I think uh, efficiency basically has a lot of problems there. And it's also, I think, devoid of any sort of political explanation. And, and that may be, in some ways, the point. It may be trying to hide or obscure some of the politics that are going on. And lastly, and I, and I do this, I, I eyeball this, but it also can't explain some of the, of, of the factors that you would expect if this were really all about efficiency explanations. That is to say, for example, uh, if this were about uh, really populous provinces and wanting to split those up for better manageability, then really it's hard to explain because some of the most populous provinces and some of the least populous provinces are being split up. And I, yeah, I don't do this really rigorously, but if, if you kind of eyeball the different sorts of statistics, you know, the largest provinces that are out there and, the, and some of the smallest provinces or smaller areas uh, span uh, the, the, the gamut of, of which provinces are, are splitting and becoming new. Similarly, by population density, really the, the, one of the most dense and, uh, and the least dense. And the underlined provinces are the ones where I apologize, yes. The underlying provinces are the ones that have been split up into two, two or more provinces. Um, 
And so also if you talk about the, the economy in terms of things like uh, GDRP, gross domestic regional product, in terms of foreign direct investment, again, it just sort of, sort of uh, it spans uh, a lot of these indicators. And, and I couldn't quite figure out how, how I could show this statistically. I just have too few, too few uh, cases in some ways, and I'm not sure it'd be very useful. But anyway, um, by issues of poverty and so on. So the other two kinds of explanations I want to give a little bit more uh, credence to. One is that this is a, a bottom-up uh, movement that's going on. That's essentially that that there's a lot of uh, social movement actors uh, and um, civil society actors that are essentially uh, pushing the politics of, of new provinces up, up the ladder uh, towards the central government. And these actors, they might be motivated by um, frustration with the status quo um, for ethnic or religious reasons. Um, they might want more autonomy and those sorts of issues. And this was uh, the way a lot of people I interviewed in the field really interpreted the whole uh, movement, that they would say, this is about our autonomy. It's about our interests as uh, the people of this particular region, and we want a territory of our own. And I, yeah, I think that fits the story to some extent. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I think uh, a lot of people, scholars, uh, uh, sort of political analysts, have said this is really about elite politics, and it's really about the top-down explanations that are taking place. And so a lot of these explanations have status bents to them, but it's saying, you know, elites are interested in creating this sort of new province because uh, it's, it's constitutional engineering uh, in order to keep the, the, the country in line. It's a form of patronage uh, and fealty. It's a way to divide and conquer and all these sorts of uh, more state-led, top-down level explanations. And the point I want to make uh, on these isn't that they're wrong per se. It's just that I want to try to subsume them. In some ways, they're incomplete. And the two cases that we, that we just briefly looked at at the beginning, I think, demonstrate this, that, that there's a lot of variety to what's going on, despite the fact that, that, the, that, that the cases are quite similar in terms of the phenomenon of provinces. And so um, what I want to suggest in some ways is that both of these uh, cases tend to dichotomize what you would say as, uh, in some ways, center versus periphery. That is, you have a national government that's impinging upon the local level peripheral governments, or you have a peripheral uh, or local level uh, movement that's really sort of up against the national level uh, uh, Jakarta or the national level uh, politicians. And my argument is that we shouldn't necessarily choose between the two. And in fact, the top and bottom, in some ways, are really linked together. And so that's the framework that I want to put forth in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, the, these other kinds of explanations. And so what I essentially say is, uh, in terms of a framework, that the main processes that, that we see going on in Indonesia are the institutional changes. And so this is more of an institutional uh, approach, I guess you could call it. And that is, there's two processes going on. One is democratization, and one is de decentralization. And democratization, on the one hand, has sort of this, this passive notion of opening up the political space, giving actors political opportunities to, to, to raise their voice uh, in ways that they wouldn't have been able to do during uh, authoritarian periods, during the new order. Uh, on the other hand, I think the democratic uh, reforms that are occurring in Indonesia, they they're designed in such a way that there's intense competition between the political parties. 
There's dozens of political parties now that are competing for seats in the national legislature. And creating new provinces does add sort of an electoral dimension to what's going on. And just, just to list it as an example, uh, this is a list of all the new provinces that have been created uh, and uh, how, the, how the different parties fared in the uh, 2004 national elections. And without going through the, the details of what parties uh, are who in the Indonesian context, you can see that some of the larger parties below are the ones that gain the most. And in some ways, they may have had an incentive to push for uh, this in order to uh, gain more seats at the national level legislature. On the other hand, uh, I want to talk a little bit about decentralization. In essence, in 2001, uh, Indonesia devolves almost uh, all of their substantive power, with the exception of, of five key areas, down to the local level governments. And so by devolving power, you create a, a mass incentive, I think, uh, for people to capitalize on the newfound authority. And so there's local uh, level competition that emerges in this context. And uh, the argument here is that if, if you lose that competition in terms of a governorship or in terms of a, 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 a particular position in the government, a lot of people are then saying, well, if we can't have that position, then, then, then maybe we need to create a province of our own. Maybe uh, we, can, we can create a province that then sets up a whole infrastructure that allows us to get into position and allows us to put our people there. And so that's, that's, that's the the institutional uh, incentives that open up with creating a new territory or creating a new province. Um, so then let me talk a little bit about what I'm calling uh, the vertical coalitions. Essentially what I, what I want to flesh out here is that these are, these are alliances that are taking place among actors that are spanning the national, the regional, and the local level. And I want to contrast that in some ways with the typical way in which, if we talk about territoriality in Indonesia, it was about, okay, it was about the center and the outer islands. It was about Java versus uh, the periphery in some ways. And what I want to suggest is that there's lines cutting through uh, the center and the periphery, the national, the regional, and the local, among these different groups that are forming coalitions uh, in order to, to advance their own interests. And so this is really tying together a lot of different kinds of actors. They're societal level and civil society actors, and they're also uh, institutionalized political actors and, 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 and localized elites. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole slew, slew of uh, kind of a mixed bag of actors at that level. Uh, and so what is it that, that, that the vertical alliances in some ways do? And to ask that in a slightly different kind of context, what I'm essentially saying is that under authoritarian regimes, new provinces could be, in theory, they could be carved out through an edict or through basically a top-down type of mechanism. Um, and uh, basically under the transition and under the democratic institutional changes, this becomes uh, much more difficult. There has to be some sort of uh, local or national level accountability process in which you could create a new province. And at the same time, what I'm trying to suggest is that these bottom-up forces aren't just able to do it alone, that they have to have allies at the national level, at the top levels, in order for them to be able to put forth uh, a new province. And so that's the sort of national level changes that are going on in Indonesia that everyone experiences in largely uh, uh, the, the same way in some ways. Everyone has to live under the conditions or gets to live under the conditions of a decentralized, democratized Indonesia. 
But the other uh, part of, of the work I've done is to try to understand the local context in which these democratic decentralization changes filter down. And here I want to argue that in some ways, uh, when, you, when, you, when you go down to these levels, uh, the, the incentives and the, and the situations uh, are quite particular, particularistic. Um, and sometimes the rifts that are created within provinces are economic. Um, sometimes they're more cultural, sometimes they're more security oriented, and so on. But what I'm suggesting is sort of the way in which the national level changes and then uh, affect uh, and trickle down to the local level is, is one of the ways in which we can understand the changing incentives for actors to create uh, new provinces. So let me then move a little bit more narrowly to, uh, to the case studies uh, that I looked at in the project. The main one I, I examined was in northern Sulawesi, um, here and the split between uh, the northern uh, region and the southern region. I also looked at uh, uh, Riau and the Riau Islands in Sumatra, and then I'll talk a little bit about uh, West Irian and the case of, of Papua. Um, and essentially, uh, the fieldwork there, uh, in some ways, uh, is based on the field research that I did from 2004 to 2005, and I spent some time going back and forth, uh, especially to uh, Manado and the northern Sulawesi area, and talking also to informants in Jakarta. But in the northern Sulawesi region, um, uh, essentially, you, you have a, a region that's quite far away, quite marginal in terms of uh, or in the margins in terms of the Indonesian context, a lot of people said that, or a lot of people would emphasize how far they were from Jakarta by saying we're actually closer to Manila than we are to Jakarta and the, and the center, as it were. And when I first arrived uh, in Gorontalo, uh, a lot of, a lot of my, my thinking about why these new provinces were being created was essentially thinking that it was an elite-led process, that it was about uh, about political elites wanting to carve out their own province for their own interests. And there's definitely an elite story that's going on there, but one of the really interesting things I found was how popular that process had been. And so uh, earlier we talked about how, how decentralization, democratization at the national level may have facilitated um, uh, uh, sort of more, more uh, actors at the local level to create new provinces. And this was definitely the case in Golontalo. There were student activists and civil society groups that were acting uh, to create a new, uh, that were pushing for um, political change uh, in the overall uh, Indonesian structure during the whole reformasi and student demonstrations that were taking place in 1998 and 1999. And a lot of these students initially actually argue for sort of national level change. That is to say, they want to eliminate corruption at the national level. They want to uh, get rid of uh, nepotism. They want to improve the financial situation, have more equity, and those sorts of, of, of issues. But what I want to suggest is that these national issues then get framed in some ways as, as, as localized grievances. And so a lot of the student movements uh, focused on local corruption problems against uh, the governors in the region or against the district leaders in the, in the region. And increasingly, as, as these demonstrations took place in Gorontalo, there was a lot of resentment against uh, other, other groups in the region that were deemed uh, politically uh, more affluent, politically more powerful. And to just give a, a brief picture of how that story would go, there were 
two very large ethnic groups in the northern Sulawesi region. The Minahasa in the north tended to be more Christian. Uh, they tend to be wealthier. They're generally in more control of the political power. And the Gorontalo in the south uh, tended to be Islamic, uh, more rural, and more underdeveloped. And so the way in which uh, a lot of the discourse would take place is to say, okay, you know, we people in the south, we're a little bit poorer, but uh, we have a larger land area in, 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 the, in the original province of northern Sulawesi. You know, we make up a larger proportion of the, uh, pop, uh, of the population. Uh, we make up half of the, of the, of the, of the religious uh, population. Half of us are Muslim, half of us are Catholic, uh, are Christian. And yet, uh, we have never held uh, the, the governorship. And it has always been dominated by the other group. Furthermore, uh, you know, we've always been uh, less educated. We've gotten less resources for things like education. And uh, we've had less social development. Uh, and that has to do largely with uh, the way in which uh, resources have been distributed. And so uh, a lot of the social movements that take place are, in, are, are essentially uh, occurring in this context. What they're saying is we want justice. We want a new province to take place. But in that context, um, there, there, there are also local groups that are essentially pushing for, uh, for, for a new province. But then they're appealing to national level actors. And national level actors then have a lot of interest as well. And just to cite. One example in terms of the personal uh, national level elite pro uh, actors, uh, President Habibi of Indonesia, uh, who succeeded uh, President Suharto very briefly and was the one to institute some of the political changes, was actually considered uh, a native of the Gorontalo region and actually contributes money and uh, contributes uh, lobbying efforts on behalf of, of these groups. Other actors, including uh, national, uh, nationally renowned generals, uh, also promote the whole province uh, uh, of Gorontalo becoming its own province. And then also political parties, I think, play a central interest in the story here. In Gorontalo, the province was dominated by the, by the old regime's original party, Golkar. And so when Golkar uh, saw the opportunity to create a, a stronghold and potentially create a bailiwick in which they could uh, increase the number of, of seats in their legislature, and also uh, serve as a patronage mechanism, then they saw their interest in promoting a uh, new province. And so with national and uh, local level actors kind of aligning their interests in some ways, uh, regional actors also fall into line. Uh, in some ways, there are side payments that are made and, uh, and incentives that are created so that the the, the provincial actors can go into the new province and establish themselves in the, in the, in the new province. And so uh, you, you have an alignment of, in some ways, the national, the regional, and the local. Let me then briefly talk about uh, what's going on in uh, another case, which is on Sumatra. And this is the case of Riau. And here, this is a split that takes place essentially, let me see if I have this, essentially between the islands of Riau and uh, the mainland. And uh, there are some parallels that take place between the two, uh, to the original case of Gorontalo and northern Sulawesi. There's a strong push 
at the local level in terms of creating a new province. And to some extent, uh, there are issues of ethnicity and resentment. Uh, but there's also a large, uh, and for example, there's uh, ethnic groups that are more Malay or considered more, quote, Malay uh, on the mainland, while there may be a, a lot more uh, mixed uh, migration that's going on on the islands. But I'm also suggesting that there's a lot of differences that are emerging in the case of Northern Sulawesi, with the case of Northern Sulawesi. Um, the Riau region as a whole is actually much more, uh, is much wealthier as, as a region because of natural gas reserves and those sorts of things. And it's actually the islands in some ways that we're doing uh, much better in terms of, of, of their investments. So this isn't a case where a, a group of people in, in the south feel marginalized and poor and therefore want to split away. This is a case where uh, a, a, a more well-off group essentially wants to split away from a larger province. And so the island organizations essentially see a great economic benefit potentially to splitting away. They don't have to go through the mainland uh, anymore. And essentially, they can create new links with, with different sorts of places. Another uh, local dynamic that's pretty different from the northern Sulawesi case is that there's an independence movement in the whole island as a whole that's brief and, and not extremely threatening, but still there. And so concerned with the implications uh, about, uh, about a split, uh, that, uh, about a provincial breakaway uh, uh, that's occurring in, in Riau, the national government then essentially sides with uh, the people on the island Riau saying, okay, we can split the, 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 the province into two. And by splitting the province into two, we can weaken that movement for, for, for uh, an independence movement. And in that sense, uh, there's a lot of contention that takes place. The provincial actors that are based on the mainland essentially oppose uh, the process, uh, but uh, they're able, basically the alliance between the locals and the national level is able to uh, override and uh, overpower uh, the local level actors. And again, people like Suharto, uh, Suharto's successor, Habibi, were quite instrumental uh, in the process, and they had quite important personal interests in, uh, in the islands of, of, of uh, Riau Archipelago, or island Riau. And just to cite a couple of examples, uh, Habibi uh, assigned his younger sister uh, as head of the uh, family foundation that runs sort of the investment zones that, that are uh, on uh, the Riau islands. His brother uh, is head of the daily operations of a lot of investment projects on the islands. And uh, his sons and his son's friends essentially are allowed to do a lot of contracting and shipbuilding on the islands. And so that's just one example of the, of the, of the national level players who, were, who saw interest in creating these sorts of, of new provinces. Okay. The last case, well, let me see. The last case I'll talk about quickly um, is, is essentially that of, of West Papua. And, it's, and this is a case, actually, that's quite prominent in Indonesia as a whole and, and internationally because there's been a lot of human rights issues and essentially uh, a, lot of, a, lot of, uh, a lot of people promoting uh, West Papua as, uh, as an independent state along the lines of an East Timorese state that emerged. And essentially what happens in the West Papuan context is that it's, it's a much more top-down process, but they were able to recruit locals in, in, in order to promote their effort. And uh, the West Papua 
the western sphere uh, is able to succeed and the central uh, part is, is, is not a successful case. And I, I wish I could say more, but I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up uh, on that aspect. Um, so just to conclude, uh, part, of, part of what I've tried to do is, is examine uh, new province formation as a new phenomenon and argue that efficiency and top-down and bottom-up aren't really full accounts and that what we really need to look at in some ways is, is talking about the vertical coalitions, that is the coalitions that span different administrative levels. And so uh, in so doing, what, what I wanted to suggest is also that in, in the comparative politics literature, a lot of the analysis about territory and territoriality in Indonesia or state building in general has been center outward, that it's a relationship that's zero sum, that is states and uh, sort of the centers are able to take away, build by taking away powers in the peripheries. And what I want to suggest in some ways is that this forces us to rethink this, the center-periphery framework. Uh, when the interests of centers and peripheries align, then they are going to form alliances in some ways and build coalitions. So I've, I've identified kind of a whole slew of, of actors that, that span uh, sort of the government, uh, state-led uh, actors, political parties, provincial elites, and also social groups and societal organizations that have essentially uh, been around. And the last thing I'll note is essentially um, I want to make a brief comment about why it's taking place in a territorial framework. And what I want to what I want to uh, mention about about territory and territoriality is essentially that it's a that, that territory is is, is a multi-dimensional uh, phenomenon, and uh, a lot of people conflate land with territory. In other words, this is really an effort for us to get land. But the point that I want to make about territory is that this is essentially uh, a concept that's infused with with meanings and rules, um, and so. The concept and the way we think about territory can change. And so, for example, in the case of Gorontalo, uh, what we saw is the creation of a new province. It, it, it had a cultural meaning for some people, that it was, a, it was a home, it was an ethnic homeland. But on the other hand, it had political meaning for other people, that it was essentially seen as a way in which uh, they could expand their political interests. On the other hand, in places like Rio, there was, there was an economic meaning that was, what, that was uh, that was infused within the territory. And so the multi-dimensionality of territories were really what allows a lot of these groups to align with one another, that they see their overlapping interests and therefore use territory towards, uh, towards attaining uh, their own uh, interests. And the last thing I'll say is essentially that uh, in some ways I hope this contributes uh, to I guess a debate or a discussion about what politics in post-Suharto Indonesia looks like. A lot of people have talked about uh, post-Suharto Indonesia in, in, in the sense of, okay, is it on a linear trajectory that's democratizing? And a lot of other people have said, uh, well, we need to focus on the, on the local level and the corruption and those sorts of things. And I guess what I want to try to do is suggest uh, how is it that we can link the sort of national level uh, progress or, or changes that are taking place and, and the local level actors uh, that are there. And, and instead of seeing it in some ways as a linear process where things in Indonesia are gradually getting better or worse, 
I just I, I want to suggest that the, the, the competitiveness in Indonesia uh, in terms of the national level and the local levels is, is really uh, I think a defining characteristic of what's going on there and that competitiveness is in some ways why different groups are, 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 are trying to draw and, and coalesce and work with uh, other groups uh, and uh, and uh, territory being one dimension of, of that new new competition so that's that's all I have. Good. Very uh, clear. Thank you. Questions <clears throat> or comments? Nothing. Um, I think it's fascinating. As we've discussed it before. I have a suggestion and a question, which is, which is you're sort of um, you're saying that these the, the different explanations of looking at it as bottom up or uh, top down and the efficiency are are incomplete. And he suggested we should be looking at vertical kinds of coalitions. And I think one way of getting a handle of which, which exactly of the dimensions of territoriality are actually driving this is to look more carefully at the negative cases. And I really like when you brought up there sort of the which cases had at least some kind of idea of uh, splitting up but didn't materialize. Um, and at least eyeballing it, it seems that it's probably not just geography. Maybe there's geography and wealth involved. I don't know, more careful analysis might show up. But, um, what else might be involved? For example, what kind of ethnicity is? What is it about the, the vertical sort of coalitions that uh, can make them strong? Who is it? And you know, possibly it's just not the presentation today. But who is it in, in the elite that might have that, such kind of uh, advantages? And Habibi is a fascinating case with Gorontalo. is probably an outlier. Um, they happen to have a president, and not from Java. That's not going to happen very often. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, which is it among those things? Is it religion or? or Economic interest in others. I think the negative cases could give you a lot of handle on that. Yeah, I, I considered a long time whether I wanted to include a negative case, and I, I even had one picked out in some ways where Central Java uh, and, 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 and there were proposals out there for a new province, and, uh, and it had to do with, with, with the historical legacy of. Of not having their, their their own province back in the 1950s uh, and so on, and and not really having any allies at the national level who who were really able to push that forward, um, and and in some ways uh, that goes along with with a further uh, question of whether you know whether I should add more all of the cases and and increase. Increase the the investigation, and I guess I guess I, I I wanted to look more carefully at the kinds of things that were going on to focus on what what was happening. And when I started to look carefully at the negative case, it was quite difficult to do that investigation. That is, it's hard to study something that doesn't happen and to argue why it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And you go there and, and and you talk to people and you ask, and and people say, oh well, it just didn't work out. And and um, and it's it's something where I wanted to look uh, more closely at it, but it, just from a practical level, uh, it was quite difficult. Um, so, in 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 that sense, I wanted to focus more on the processes that were going on. But I, I take that critique, and it's something that I that I think about quite often on whether it's worth adding a, a whole extra case in terms of looking at a negative case, or whether just to say, okay, these are the kinds of because. You know, this is a very empirical-based study. That is to say, 
you know, I didn't kind of create these hypotheses and theories and say, okay, let me go and test them. In some ways, I had preconceived notions. Then I looked at the different kinds of cases, in, you know, deeply, and then tried to sort of modify and rethink how those sorts of cases were emerging. I don't know. If it, I, I don't know that it's necessarily at all for this kind of project. I'm sorry. Please, 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 please. But, I, but maybe for future kind of stuff. I'm thinking of secession in general. I, I wonder. I was very taken by it when the, the stuff that comes up from this. To what degree is this secession? Is this similar to secession on the national level in other cases? Mm -hmm. you know, and there, there are probably a lot of regularities. There are a lot of regularities that could be very relevant for this. For instance, the question of a wealthier part of a province wanting to break off, and that seems to be very rare, rare in the secession case too, although it exists in uh, Catalan, certainly, and there are other cases. And um, I feel like there's probably general, generalizations there that, that could be had. I don't, really, I don't know that it needs to be part of this book necessarily. Mm -hmm. but, um, I think you've got a lot there that you could leverage yeah. a lot of other stuff and not you know, not become fluent in Catalan. But I just mean a lot of the generalizations from the national session might be useful and then taking some of the negative cases in Indonesia could give you I think great leverage on various questions beyond the Indonesia. Okay. That's very useful. Just mm -hmm. to follow on that, you know, on the other end too, I think that sort of comparing local cases. I mean that might be something I, mean, I think you're right that you know you have you have good analogies at the national level, but also, I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking of, you don't have to go this local, but just, you know, as an anecdotally, um, you know, just municipalities in, if you even just think of, you know, municipalities in the Bay Area if you've been around here for a little while. Uh, you know, the rich places split off so they can have their own school district. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You know, poor places at, in American municipalities are less likely to split off because they're not going to be able to, there's not that kind of, uh, there aren't too many poor places that, for whom sort of uh, identity is strong enough to split off, but you know maybe if you get to the you know, you bring it up at a little bit higher level, and I just, there might be good analysis there as well. And I'm just interested just to follow along with this. I know it's not you know, as you were just saying, it's not the um, the main thrust of what your research is. But do you have any um, rough idea? That, I mean, again, the whole the list you had of places where it's potential. I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying about not being about it being more difficult to study a negative. Um, but in a sense, what you've got there, and I'm sure you've thought about this a lot already, as you said, what you've got there is not a list of you know, all possible, it's not every single province or every single locality in, in Indonesia, if I understood you correctly. Mm -hmm. These are places that, did you say that they, they have had some kind of movement that's then fallen short? Yes. So they're not completely negative cases, in the sense that you could also imagine some places right. that never have a movement, they never even think of it. That's right, that's right. So I'm just curious, again, you know, I'm curious whether you had any even sort of rough sense of what, are there any two or three factors that separate the places that have movements but then they fall short? Okay, yeah. Um, I think one of the, the main point, I, I think you're right. I think in some ways there's three classes of cases, right? There's the classes of cases where nothing ever, no one even thinks about it. And then there's the classes of cases where people try. And then there's a class of people, classes of cases where people succeed. Um, and in some ways, I'm arguing here that the, the, the success is what what uh, the vertical coalitions framework really tries to explain. And and I haven't made a big distinction between why does something happen, or why does why is something initiated versus why is something not initiated. But that said, I think one thing you can see from a lot of the different cases is that identity plays an important issue, and that. Uh, whether you consider it uh, uh, 
you know, what we've talked about in terms of necessary versus sufficient. And, and, you know, a lot of these necessary conditions may be that there has to be some sort of local identity-based justification to create a boundary around that particular area. And so I think that plays a very, very important point, uh, at least at the, at, at the provincial level. And also, actually, to some degree at, at the sub-district, at the, at the district levels, because once you have, you know, a, a Minahasa province, I've been telling other people, then you have the different sub-ethnic groups that start to say, okay, we want to have this particular district, this particular district, and so on. And so that plays an incredibly important uh, part of the story. And I guess my frustration was people just saying, okay, so it's just a bunch of different ethnic uh, groups that want a piece of their own territory. And I wanted to explore sort of what are the different dynamics that, that, that allow or that make possible these different sorts of initiatives. And some of them are, 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 are you know, clearly uh, identity-driven, bottom-up, but then some of them, like in the case of, of, of Papua, I think it's not a popular identity-based uh, movement that's going on either, and that there's national-level uh, interests that are, that are actually trying to divide the different identity uh, movements that are taking place. So in that sense, I think ethnicity and identity play an important component there, but they're not, they're not, they're not always consistent uh, either. I mean, are those, as you're saying, I mean, is it the, again, I know nothing about Indonesia, so I can't tell just from the list, mm -hmm. but is it the case that you, you have a kind of necessary but not sufficient thing going on? That most of the places where there is a split, there's some kind of, the, the group that that does split off, or you know, one or the other, is a kind of identity, there's a cultural identity that's separate from the territory itself. And I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of other places where you have that too, but is mm -hmm. that more, has that tended to be a necessary, even if not sufficient, condition for, for a split? I mean, do you ever have cases or often have cases where a split happens that is, I don't know, to go back to you know, West Virginia, Virginia, you know, something that's where you don't really have, where, it, where it's economic, to the extent you can separate economic from you know, cultural identity, yeah. or, or um, more purely political? Um, or is there always a sort of identifiable sub-ethnic group, to the extent this is an objective thing in the first place? <laughs> I, yeah, I think identity plays a big part of it, but part of part of what I what I what I I guess what I was trying to say in the project is it's an important condition, but it's not always the only condition right. that's out there. But that's what I'm wondering if, whether it's that necessary but not sufficient. In other, are, in other words, are there? It's important. Mm -hmm. It's important. Are there, are there places that don't have it and yet still subdivide? Or is it that it's you know all the places that subdivide do have this ethnic component? But it's not the whole story. I think all of the places that have it have an ethnic component. Um, I think the, the the West Papua case might be a little bit uh, different in some ways because it's not totally clear what those what those lines are. It's not like there's three different ethnic groups and they've divided along three lines. There are just so many that that that, that they've sort of divided uh, uh, these lines according to. Uh, to pre-existing lines of, of, of different uh, districts that are gathered there together. But there's always an identity. I, I feel like there's, there's, there's always an identity rationale, whether it's based at the, at the local level saying, this is our territory, or there's a larger issue about, uh, well, yeah, I would say 
it's almost always that there's a there's an identity rationale at the local level. But in, in terms of the of the Papua case, it would be a little bit a little bit uh, different from from the from the other cases. In some ways. Yeah. yeah. Two questions. If you look at proliferating provinces, what have you seen in terms of the relationship between proliferating districts? Sequentially, and then also a different question: Have you looked at um, the relationship or the impact of transmigrasi kind of impact on the successful? Um, or the not successful uh, on the first one, I haven't looked much uh, at this issue of of, of transmigrasi uh, affecting. I mean, if you look at the slew of different cases, for example, in if you look at, at the at the northern Sulawesi case, I can't say that transmigrasi would be a huge issue there. For example, you see what that is, by the way. I'm sorry. Right. Uh, and transmigrasi is is the is the government program to basically move people off of Java or move uh, heavily densely populated uh, regions, moving families and groups to uh, less densely populated areas, and it's created big issues in terms of of, of cultural conflicts and economic conflicts that have emerged. Um, and in the case, in the, in the two other cases I looked at, uh, I can't say for sure that transmigrasi uh, is, is, is a critical component. I think migration and the way it affects identity in, in the Riau Islands, for example, may play an important role, but that's not a transmigrasi case per se. It's a lot of people coming in for work, it's international. And in the case of West Papua, you know, you could hypothesize in some ways that that the that the movements that are going on towards the coast, in some ways, are are why um, are why there's a little bit more of a or a little bit less of a reluctance to become a, a new province that is a West Irian uh, province. But I haven't been able to to go to Papua like Don has, for example, to go to Papua and and, and look at sort of transmigrasi and talk to transmigrasi and see, okay, are you supporting the new province? Or are you really against the new province? Uh, yeah, I, if I could make a couple of comments, I, I think um, well, there are some comments I'd like to make about political science theory, <laughs> which I will spare you. Uh, maybe when we have lunch, <laughs> we can chat about that. Uh, no, no, but actually, just briefly. There is a literature in political science that emphasizes coalitions. Uh, and I guess my question would be to what extent you want to relate to that literature. But the more relevant, uh, I think, question, given the focus of the talk and the interdisciplinary character of the people in the room, uh, in going back to the original question that Nathan asked, do you want to end up with something that approximates a clarifying model of, of levels and and factors and whether they're sufficient or not uh, conditions and dynamics. I mean, you know, if you, if, you, if you think of it in terms of an input-output process, putting it very abstractly and crudely, you have inception and you have a kind of pattern or politics of inception which can vary tremendously. What are the motivations of the actors to raise this issue onto the agenda? Then you have a process uh, in which, for example, something that initially was perhaps an ambition of locals becomes taken over by people at the center or <clears throat> what was a kind of backroom ploy in the center because 
you haven't perhaps emphasized sufficiently the extent to which the creation of provinces opens up all kinds of opportunities for patronage uh, in terms of salaries and positions and a new fleet of vehicles and uh, you know very kind of uh, basic uh, material motivations uh, on the part of people who want to jump onto a new bandwagon and uh, uh, and benefit thereby um, and maybe a ploy in the center then becomes taken seriously for very different reasons by some elements of a constituency in the affected territory. Mm -hmm. And then you get the creation of what you're calling vertical coalition, which I guess is another way of suggesting that if we disaggregate the notion of a vertical coalition, both in terms of its composition and in terms of the impulse and where it originates for, from, the impulse that is for, uh, for blossoming, for pomakaran, for the creation of a new uh, jurisdiction, then I think we get you know, a kind of, we sort of operationalize the notion of vertical coalition rather than suggesting that the content of those coalitions, and you're not doing this, of course, is constant across cases. Mm -hmm. I mean, if one were to construct a sort of spectrum, uh, and you may have not been able to do this because I kind of shortened the end of the talk with regard to Papua, if you have those three cases and you lay them out on a spectrum, you know, how much um, distortion uh, am I imposing here by suggesting that the Gorontalo case is the most bottom-up mm -hmm. and that the Papua case is the most top-down mm -hmm. and that the Rio case is somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have Habibi's interests, obviously, mm -hmm. but then you also have local interests. Uh, uh, does that hold? And is that a spectrum that one could apply even outside of Indonesia? Uh, um, and then, I guess, on the second uh, point, there is, of course, apart from the question of whether the impetus comes from the center or from the jurisdiction in question, the issue of, of sectors. Now, here, one has the sense that Gorontalo is perhaps, yeah, the most cultural, mm -hmm. if I can use that phrase loosely. A Gorontalo identity, the, the, the distinctive religious character of the population vis-a-vis -vis the Christian concentration around Manado. Um, and uh, I suppose one might say that in that sense, uh, I don't know, Papua might be the interme intermediate case there. I mean, uh, I think it's important to note, uh, actually on the economic side as well, that the Biak area, which was originally kind of split off into what is now called, uh, actually it's been just renamed uh, about a week ago, as you probably know, yeah. Yeah, right, it's now called West, West Papua, Papua, which makes it even more complicated. I mean, when you use the word Papua at this point, it's not at all clear what you're referring yeah. to. But that concentration in Biak, in the Biak area of newcomers from elsewhere in Indonesia, very heavy yeah. transmigration yeah. component, and also resented by those on the, you can't call it the mainland, because, it, but I mean, you know, the bird's head, so-called, to the West, yeah. has traditionally, historically, been the dominant kind of leading zone for the rest of Papua. And in the days when um, you go to Ternate and Tidore for the sultans who originally controlled Papua, they did so through Biak. And so there's some resentment on the part of the population farther in the interior that these elites toward the coast in this, you know, it's supposed to look like a bird's head, as you can see it on the... Uh, on the map have exploited and dominated them. And, and the concentration of Javanese there is very high and so forth. And it is interesting to note that of the three provinces that were originally proposed in what was clearly a top-down manipulation by Jakarta, the one farthest to the interior 
which was the poorest and least developed and had the smallest percentage of Javanese and other migrants coming in, and therefore, in some sense, was least manipulable from Jakarta using co-opted local elites, was the province that ultimately faded away. Uh, it's no longer, as far as I can tell, really on the agenda. Um, and so if you have that uh, distinction with, I suppose if Gorontalo is, is cultural and Papua is political, that, that is divide and rule, you know, flat out strategy, uh, because after all there is violence still going on and the you know, Papua Freedom Organization is at least in theory threatening the center, then you have Riau in between as an economic. So you have sort of Gorontalo culture, Papua uh, politics, and you have Riau uh, economic because of this incredible concentration of, of oil and wealth. Now that's much too crude, uh, and certainly those three categories bleed into each other back and forth. But you could work out, it seems to me, in relation, say, I mean, Catalan was mentioned, think of northern Italy, another instance of an economically very well-developed area, you know, and there are people up there who say, you know, Jesus, we don't need the Sicilians, for God's sake, we can do this ourselves. Uh, you know, so that, so that in the concluding chapter of the book, and, and, the, and perhaps the penultimate one as well, where you are dealing a little bit more comparatively, you can say, you know, this, these are the kind of guidelines that I'll lay out in the terms of which we can better understand this phenomenon, which is clearly not limited to Indonesia. Yeah. That's far too long and detailed, but... The, that, that articulates in some ways some of the things uh, that, are, that are in the study uh, yeah. that, that are said much better than, than I did. Uh, part, of the, part of the emphasis there is to say, I was quite interested uh, in the phenomenon as it was taking place because of the diversity and that there were different kinds. And so in the dissertation or in the book, part of, part of the emphasis then is on exactly what you're talking about, the typologies and the different kinds of types of new province formation that are going on. And they're not, they're, they're, there are the sort of what I call the, the economic, the, the more security or the political and, and the more cultural. And then I, I suggest also that there's a there's a variation between the sort of the, the top down, the bottom up, uh, and yeah. all of them have the connections, but some of them are coming from the top towards the bottom, some they're coming, and some of them are sort of uh, meeting in the middle in some ways. Right. Um, right. Right. Now it's hard to flush the relationship between those distinctions out, right? Because it wasn't necessarily that the top down was necessarily always going to be political, and and, right. and, and, right. and the middle was always going to be economic and that kind of thing, but um, what I wanted to suggest was, um, and the chapters in some ways uh, based along the cases say, okay, this is a case of one which is more economic and it's more sort of meeting in the middle in some ways, and then trying to flesh out how those different processes work. And I think the processes is an important point. I also try to talk about what are the linkages and what kinds of linkage mechanisms are there between uh, the different actors? Are they sort of social mechanisms, are they institutional mechanisms, uh, and so on. So I try to talk about the process by which uh, these different groups do work together, the, pro the, the different ways that, that they're linked together. So those are some of the, the conceptual ways in which I tried to, to lay those out. And they, they may not have come out as clearly uh, in, in that context, but but yeah, I was I was more interested in, in uh, and, and this, this kind of happens when, when you look at a phenomenon so intensely, but you, you, you try to look at the, the variations within and say, okay, but it's not working out the way I think. It's like, well, this must be, you know, it's another type of, of, of process that's going on. And so and that's in some ways why I, 
it, there's so many things going on perhaps is that I, I think it, it would be an easy case to say, okay, this is what's going on in Indonesia. It's the elites are doing this, and it's 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 basically about uh, keeping Indonesia together. And uh, there, it's it's a divide and rule story. Um, but it, it it it's not right. I mean, it is to some degree, but I wanted to show kind of the connections by which uh, this was happening. So, yeah, I I think normatively, I mean. People who pick up the book in a bookstore and know very little about Indonesia, mm -hmm. but think of the word decentralization in a democratic context as a positive thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then they, they may even know that Indonesia is now, quote unquote, a democracy, right? And so they have a sort of favorable orientation. And then you get, I think, the conventional wisdom among experts on Indonesia, if I may presume to say this, which is extremely cynical. Uh, which is exactly as you said, this is divide and rule. I mean, and there's evidence for that. Mm -hmm. as you, we've talked about this before. When I was in Papua, I guess just last month, um, I was struck and learned for the first time that of the five initiatives to create new jurisdictions in Papua, uh, in every single case, there is either a local politician who has just lost an election, for example, a provincial election, and therefore would, quote unquote, need a new province in which to run, in which to take over, right? And having established, in, in some cases they didn't lose by that much, right? Having established a, a political apparatus that could be remobilized on fairly short notice, if only there were such a province, if only it could come into existence. That's one possibility, not one possibility, one fact. And the other fact is that there are, in, in the few cases where that is not true, there is someone who is nearing the end of his term in office and cannot run again. And therefore, for a different reason, needs a fresh jurisdiction in which to, in which to run. Now this leads to the easy and totally cynical portrayal of uh, this, this fractionalization in Indonesia, so-called Pemakatan, as being you know, a cynical maneuver on the part of local elites in collaboration with their co-conspirators in the center so that your your vertical coalition has nothing to do with democracy. And the thing about a coalition is that, you know, coalitions have a kind of uh, aura of being good things, but you can think of a bad coalition in, in which, you know, there's all kinds of bribery and, and, and you know, malicious co-optation, and you have a kind of coterie of people who happen to be located some in the center and some out in the regions, but who are engaged in a very hermetically sealed enterprise that has nothing to do with either the public interest of Indonesia or the public interest of the local uh, zone, since many of these people, particularly in parts of Papua, are unbelievably corrupt. Uh, and so, you know, I think in the end, when the reviews come out on the book, they're going to say, well, did did Professor Kimura come out really saying that maybe Indonesia's democratization, as this pattern illustrates, is sort of doomed to be some sort of facade democracy that really will not serve the interests of the people, or is he suggesting something else, a perhaps a more diverse picture, as you suggest? Mm -hmm. Now that's unfair. I mean, these are these are kind of you know I'm talking like Amazon.com. You know, how many copies will the book sell? Uh, so it, in a sense, it's irrelevant to to the intellectual basis of your study, but perhaps not to your career. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, that was a, well, I mean, in, in, in terms of, 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 so in some ways, the, the big underlying picture uh, in, uh, in terms of, okay, what does it say about Indonesia? And is it ultimately a, a very pessimistic uh, picture of Indonesia? And 
And I guess, uh, I mean, and, and actually you could I have talked about this, and this may be a, a bad strategy in some ways by trying to highlight some of that complexity, right? That, that is to say, uh, as a social movement, as a popular social movement uh, of, 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 of uh, uh, new ethnic revivalism in Indonesia, yeah, one can sympathize with groups that are saying we want a place that we can call our own, we want a governor uh, that looks like us, uh, or a governor that at least understands us to some degree. That may be unhealthy in the larger picture of uh, uh, such a diverse country, but uh, there certainly are uh, cases of, of there's, you, you can justify uh, this based on the idea of social justice to some degree. On the other hand, uh, definitely that, that social justice does get co-opted. And so and I couldn't go into all the details, but even in the cases where there's, where, where, where there's a bottom-up process going on, clearly there's cases where there's going to be hijacking, where they wanted someone to be governor, but someone else becomes governor. Uh, and those sorts of, so the power politics is certainly there. Um, but I don't necessarily see this as, a, as an unhealthy or bad process normatively. Uh, it'd be hard for me to be judgmental about it. Uh, but I do see it as an outcome, and, and, and in some ways an unexpected outcome, uh, of, of, of the sort of optimistic democratization, decentralization that, that bloomed in 1999-2000. And so, yeah, there, there may be a disadvantage to, to, yes. to, to being a... Right. Just because... To the, the pros and cons. Yeah. Just because you have a headache yeah. on the morning after, doesn't mean that you completely regret the night before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please. <clears throat> I think you're both going to touch, or touching on the answer to my question, but in an earlier slide, you seem to make a distinction between elite interest and national state interest. Could you say just a little bit about who the two are okay. and what the differences are in their interests? Okay. Um, by that, I was trying to distinguish between sort of personalistic national level leaders. For example, uh, I think the most prominent example was the vice president. And that to me is, it's not in the national interests of Indonesia per se, but it's essentially within the personal interests of someone that has a lot of political power and a political clout. Um, but it is an actor at that top level, at the national level. And on the other hand, I, I think in terms of a national state interest, it's more like uh, we were discussing earlier in, in, in the West Papua case, for example, where some people may see a benefit in, in trying to divide and uh, rule. In, in other words, um, in a case uh, in West Papua where there was a separatist movement, a lot of people said, okay, this is basically a government attempt to try to divide the movement by creating three different territories on the land and therefore making it uh, more difficult in some ways for them to declare independence to to create more incentives for locals to be co-opted so that they want to become governor instead of, say, president of a new of a new unit. And that, to me, is not an elite, sort of a personal elite interest. It's a national state interest. Um, it's in the interest of keeping Indonesia uh, whole. And so I also see that kind of logic being put forth by potentially, you know, the same sorts of people that have their own personal types of national interests at stake as well. So that's, that's the distinction that I would draw between the two. Okay. If, if tomorrow you were advising the Iraqi government based on your, <laughs> your uh -huh. study of uh -huh. Indonesia, what would you say to them? <laughs> that's probably unfair, but I can't help myself. 
Um, no, but it's creatively unfair. Another <laughs> <laughs> question will come up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think this brings up a lot of issues uh, in terms of of, of, of how to govern a, a, a multi-ethnic state. And one of the things about Indonesia is it's never been. Well, I shouldn't say it's never been. They have rejected the federal model. That is to say, they've rejected a, a model by which the, the states have, uh, in some ways, more power than, than, than the national government. And so, in that sense, I think the parallel doesn't necessarily relate very well. But in the case of, of, of Iraq, I think if, uh, I, I, I tend to think that, that decentralization and giving more and more autonomy to the local groups is probably a, a good idea, uh, and that it, it, you know, it, it, and this is just a, a totally personal perspective. But in some ways, if it, do we have to have the bias that Iraq always has to be a single state, and that if there is some sort of local level uh, prerogative for becoming uh, uh, an individual state, then maybe that's just something that people in the region have to live with. But that said, when you devolve that kind of power. Uh, it not only creates uh, more autonomy and, and possibly uh, creating, uh, satisfying the needs of, of, of locals, you're inherently going to be devolving that power and people are going to be more and more competing over that power. And so you may see a, a similar phenomenon depending on what the incentives are, depending on how the institutions are organized in some ways. And so will creating a new province in, in northern Iraq and then help the national level political party in? I mean, that may be a question of whether you want to design that into the system or not. But, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, you're, you're right. That, that question will come up again and again. <laughs> well, thank you very much for a very stimulating talk. I much appreciate it. Thank you very much. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.